Wonderful. Let's gather, gather, get back in. Now, I know they might be mightily uh, embarrassed by this, but my mum and dad are here today. Simon and Lucinda, they're right over there, a little wave. And I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that I've inherited my mother's hair. <laughs> Sorry, cheap shot, outrageous. Um, today, we're, we're starting a, a new sermon series, a, a bit more of a topical series than an expository preach. The sermon series is going to be run for a few weeks called Modern, Modern Myths. Because I've been noticing that we live in the age of the slogan. Uh, we scroll up our social media feeds, our Instagram feed, and we just see just slogan after slogan just gets projected upon it. Every movement, it seems, now has a hashtag. Every company and organization, a mission statement. Advertisement seems to be based now purely on showing us some beautiful image and a cleverly worded statement uh, upon it. And that is apparently all that is needed to make us buy. But good slogans uh, surround us, but, but, but good slogans aren't just simply just catchy little phrases. Good slogans seem to have, be rich with meaning. Take a, an old one now, but take new labor. When new labor was first, uh, where they first decided to use it, it was just meant to be for one conference and it was going to be then done. But new labor took on a life of its own, and now this little phrase became a whole ideology. Or take Brexit. Brexit means far more than simply just leaving the EU. It is a vision for what this nation could or should uh, be. So we live in the age of meaning-heavy slogans. Maybe here's some more common ones. Um, be true to yourself, or YOLO. You only live once, or love is love. These slogans, they're not just words. They're whole ideologies, they're worldviews, they're way of thinking about society. And so we're going to spend a few uh, weeks just looking at four of them in this modern myth series. And we're going to be honest and see what is really good and helpful about some of these slogans, some of these uh, myths. But also we're going to offer a bit of a critique and see, does Jesus give us a better answer? So that's an introduction to our new series. So with that in mind, let's now come to the Lord in prayer. Dearest God, who spoke all of creation into being in a world that screams in our face how we should live and who we should be, please give us here today humble hearts to hear your word of truth, a word that is eternal, life-giving, and wonderfully good. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Amen. So uh, our first uh, myth, which we're going to be looking at, our first modern myth is uh, be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. So now this is that, that small moment of group work. So maybe turn to the person uh, next to you and that statement, be true to yourself, like have you heard it? Where have you heard it being used? And uh, what do you think it means? Very good. Grouping together. Very good, team. I'll come to you, William. Yeah. 
Oh, well, I can see there's, there's, lots, there's lots to be discussed. Um, so I, I think, as I was pondering on the be true to yourself sort of ideology, I, I think it's very widespread and it's very common. I was walking down Oxford Street the other day and I walked past H&M and uh, their window display, this huge window display, uh, was just covered in hundreds of tiny little photos of people just wearing very different sort of garbs and clothing. And then a big sort of um, lighted sign just saying, you be you. So, but this true, be true to yourself ideology, I don't think it's simply encouraging us just to, to wear the clothes which we want to wear and don't care what anyone else uh, has to think about it. I think it goes further, and I think it's about personal actualization. Um, some people would call this lady a, a modern prophet, but Oprah Winfrey said, the, the fullness of our humanity can be expressed only when we are true to ourselves. Anything less is a fake life. While in the film The Greatest Showman, we, um, we hear two characters who have a forbidden love singing to one another, it's up to you, it's up to me. No one can say what we're going to be. Why don't we rewrite the stars, changing the world to be ours? Well, if you go onto Google and you type in be true to yourself, well, suddenly all these other phrases will start popping up alongside it. Google tells me that to be true to yourself, if you stay true to yourself, then you will never have regrets. Wow. <laughs> also says, as long as you are being true to yourself, then you will always find happiness. So this ideology has a, has a, it promises a lot. And before I offer my critique of this be true to yourself sort of worldview, um, I do want to say that I think there's something good here, something really helpful here. Um, the old professor of psychiatry at the University of Bristol, Glyn Harrison, a wonderful uh, Christian man, he speaks um, about how, how this ideology has some wonderful benefits and it can be really helpful. He tells a story of when he uh, was a child and he grew up in a, a working class sort of environment and he really wanted to be a doctor, even though no one else in his family or community were doctors, he really wanted to be a doctor. But at that time, um, the only way he could be a doctor was if he went to university, the only way he was really likely going to go to university if he went to a grammar school. And so he went to go and take his 11 plus. He took his 11 plus and he failed it. He took his 11 plus again and he failed it again. And his grandmother, in a seemingly wanted to be helpful and encouraging sort of way, took, it, took him under her wing and said to him, it's wonderful that you want to be a doctor. That's great. But our kind of people don't do that kind of thing. Our kind of people don't do that kind of thing. Now this be true to yourself ideology, or as Glenn describes it, expressive individualism, it is good because it does encourage us to fight against those preordained scripts for our lives that other people want to place us in. It calls us to stop just acting how we believe we're meant to be and, and start being real. Don't let other people decide who you are. And, and as I reflect on that, I think there's something righteous about that. I think there's something good about that. There's something powerful about that. We read in the Ten Commandments that the Lord God is against lies. So we don't want to be living a life where we find ourselves just lying. While we read in Acts chapter 4, the Apostle Peter and John, they're being pressurized by the Jewish authorities. They're being pressurized to stop preaching about Jesus. Don't preach in his name. 
And we read um, in their response to this pressure, they say this, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So I think there's something helpful about not living a fake life, about being real, about being honest. However, even though I do think this ideology has some real benefits attached to it, I also think that if followed blindly, as it seems to be our culture and our society, and particularly our schools, are really encouraging us to, if followed blindly, I do think it's got some dangers attached to it. And I've got three reasons why I think this. So firstly, it robs us of resources. It robs us of resources. Glenn Harrison, uh, he says that, that this be true to yourself ideology, expressive individualism, it is a fantastic place to start because it asks the right questions, but it is a terrible place to end. See, the questions expressive individualism is making us ask, the be true to yourself is making us ask is, well, who are you? And what sort of life do you want to live? And are you happy with this, this script which you feel is before you? And those are good questions about identity and about who we are and why we're here. Those are, those are great questions. But if we go along with whatever people want us to do, and we ourselves don't want to do that, well, that isn't going to lead us into a, a healthy, healthy place. So the, the true, be true to yourself ideology, it starts with some good questions. However, it, it doesn't provide good answers. It encourages us to reject all tradition, but it also encourages us to reject all external voices. Any external voice which we don't feel immediately comfortable with, we're just told to ditch it. Anyone who has lived a life before us, we're told just ignore them. Anyone who might have an opposing view to what, what, what we believe, we're told not, not, not engage, not listen, not debate, not even argue, just ignore, just reject, just ghost. That's what all the bloggers want us to do, sideline these people. Anything that doesn't feel immediately just right, have nothing to do with it. And this leaves us with, without the resources well, to answer life's big questions. Glenn Harrison says that it reduces the sources of the self to our own feelings and thoughts. It reduces the sources of the self to our own feelings and thoughts. But human beings, like we know, we're just way more complicated than that. Our feelings can change radically. Sometimes our feelings can change over a long period of time. Sometimes our feelings can change over a short period of time. Sometimes our feelings can change based purely on whether we've eaten that day or not. We're complicated beings. We need the wisdom of others to help us answer the big questions of life. Again, Glenn Harrison says that at the end, if we just follow this, this mindset, then it just leads us to a place of deep personal insecurity. It leads us to a place of deep personal insecurity. So that's my first reason why I, I have problems, and I think it's dangerous if we follow blindly this be true to yourself ideology. My second reason is that I think truth becomes just unknowable. Truth becomes unknowable. If we follow the be true to yourself ideology, its natural conclusion, it, in the end, makes truth just individualistic. It is true for me, 
but it's not true for you. Now, that might be a lovely phrase to finish an argument you just have had over the dinner table with a friend of yours. It might be a helpful way of acknowledging that we've got two different uh, viewpoints here. But it is a terrible way of establishing truth. It's a terrible way of knowing, is this right? Is this wrong? Is this good? Is this evil? Is this righteous? Is this sinful? If we want everyone to be true to, be true to yourself, then we're saying that every single truth is equally right and is equally valid. But do we be, really believe that? Do we really live like that? Imagine, imagine for a moment that we actually did, that actually everyone was true for, to themselves and actually we, we believed that everyone's truth had equal value. Well, then we'd be led into some ridiculous situations because how would we know who is right between the Black Lives Matter campaigner and the white supremacists. We wouldn't. We would be forced to say that both of these individuals are being true to themselves, and thus both of these individuals have an equally valid viewpoint, and both of these truths are equally true, but we think that's rubbish. We think that's rubbish. Be true to yourself makes truth unknowable, because it makes it purely individualistic. Thirdly, why I think it's dangerous to go down this blindly, it assumes that people are originally good. The be true to yourself ideology assumes that the self that we are meant to be true to is worth being true to. That all men, women, children are naturally good. And if we were only true to this innate goodness, then we would live in a wonderful world and everyone would have wonderful lives. But are we really that naive to think that everyone is originally good? People can grow up in perfectly loving and kind and good homes and go on to commit the worst atrocities. People can grow up in perfectly kind, good and loving homes and grow up to be deeply selfish. Now one of the reasons why I'm so convinced by the truth of Christianity and the truth of Jesus Christ is because I think he understands me and he explains me. He understands the human condition. Now, I grew up in a stable and loving home. I went to good schools. I had loads of opportunities in life. I was taught to work hard and to be polite. And maybe this is arrogant to say, but I, I think I, I polish up okay. I think I polish up okay. But intentionally, I'm fully aware that what is seen on the outside isn't the full picture, isn't the reality of who I am. Selfishness is natural to me. Anger is natural to me. Jealousy is natural to me. We hear Jesus say in Mark 7 that it is not what you consume that defiles you, but it is from within from the human heart that you are defiled. And I remember reading that as a younger man when I was questioning Christianity and being like, I get that. I see that within me. That speaks true. My good family, my good education, the good morals that I was taught, they, they didn't make me holy because my heart had already defiled me. And this is what we find Scripture saying again and again and again and again. In Psalm 14, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. 
There is no one who does good, not even one. And these words are then picked up again in Romans 3. There is no one righteous, not even one. Where in Ephesians 2 it says, we were by nature deserving of wrath. It is our nature that is deserving of wrath. It is who we are that is deserving of wrath. It is the self that we are being told to be true to that is deserving of wrath. What would happen if we were actually true to ourselves? What would happen if we were actually true to the list we read in Mark chapter 7? That Jesus says when he talks about what comes out of the human heart. What would happen if we were true to sexual immorality, to theft, to murder, to adultery, to greed, to malice, to deceit, to lewdness? What would happen if we were true to envy, to slander, to arrogance, to folly? What would happen? It would be hell. It would be hell on earth. The human condition is not originally good. It is originally sinful. In Romans 7, which we heard read earlier, we see, we see this from the Apostle Paul when he speaks about what's going on in his own heart, in his own internal thoughts. He says, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Even the Apostle Paul, even this great missionary of the church, even he was trapped by this internal working of his own sinful desires. <laughs> so is there any hope? Is there any hope? If we can't trust ourselves, what are we to do? Well, Paul continues in Romans 7. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if our, our, if our minds are now turning to Jesus, is he's the one who's going to deliver us. Well, how does Jesus provide us with a better answer? If the be true to yourself ideology, if it asks the right questions, who, who are you, but it doesn't give us good answers, well, what is the better answer? What is the better answer Jesus provides us? Well, firstly, I think I want to say that the better answer Jesus provides us is Jesus gives us resources. He gives us resources. The be true to yourself ideology, it robs us of resources. It gives us nothing to answer the big questions of life except for our own thoughts and feelings. Jesus is abundant with resources and he gives his resources to us. He's full of wisdom and he gives that wisdom so that we can navigate the world we live in. The focus point of these resources that he willingly gives us is his Holy Spirit, who Calvin calls God's epistemological agent. How does the Holy Spirit aid us? Well, I'd want to say the Holy Spirit aids us in many ways, but one of the ways that the Holy Spirit aids us is he places us within a local church, a global church, and a historical church. The Holy Spirit has placed us in a local church. And this local church, it is made up of, of many generations and cultures and classes. He has surrounded us with other people who, if we let them, have the potential to be pools of wisdom, 
which we can draw from. The people around us, they have lived lives which we have never lived. They have had experiences that we have never had. And if we let them, then the people around us are full of wisdom. Wisdom which is good for the young and equally good for the old. And we all have something to hear and to learn from. And this is why churches have never been made up of just a minister. This is why churches in the scripture have always been envisioned to be a body of believers who know each other, who support each other, who encourage each other, who talk about the hard things so that with these wisdom that the Lord has given us, we may encourage each other. I remember back at a time when I was uh, at, at university and a friend just sat on my bed, put his hand in his head in his hands, and he said, Adam, I'm just full of doubts. I just don't feel God anymore. And so we're able to talk about it, and we're able to pray about it. But I think of a more recent time. I remember when I first came here to Christchurch, um, and I met with Tom, and uh, then I had a, was given like a few weeks to decide if I was going to come here or not. And, uh, and I just didn't know. I had all these questions. Um, about should, should I come here or should I not, based on just coming to the church twice. It's a big decision for a, a small amount of information. And so what do I do? Well, I called up some mentors of mine, people who had known me and people who had wisely counseled me in the past, and I asked them what they thought about it. Should I come here? The Lord has surrounded us by people who, if we let them, are pools of wisdom, which we can draw from. But the Spirit has also placed us within a global church. And we can access the wisdom of others through good books and podcasts and talks and, and camps and conferences. We can learn from Christians who have, who have undergone extreme persecution in North Korea and seen, how did you keep going with Jesus during all of that? Why didn't you give in? We can learn from them. And equally, we can learn from, from men and women who have spent their lives in academia pouring over God's word and and, and been able to spend all this time in it, a lot of time which we would never be able to do, we can learn from them too. The Lord has put us in this global church, and the Lord has put us in a historical church. The questions we ask about who we are, how we should live, these have been questions which men and women have been asking for thousands of years. They are not modern. And there is a wealth of wisdom which the ancients have to teach us. And when we read from these historical sources, it's beneficial to us because it removes us from our present circumstances and context. And it allows us to come to things freshly. It allows us to, to, to ask these big questions without being clouded by our own context, by our own experiences and cultural baggage. Now, I want to say I'm not saying that we, we're Roman Catholics all of a sudden. We don't believe that the church is infallible. Please don't believe that I'm infallible. But neither should we be arrogant. If the church has always believed something, then we have to take that position of humility and we have to listen. The Holy Spirit, he works through his church, but the Holy Spirit, he authoritatively works through this Holy Scriptures. In the Scriptures, we get to hear the voice of our maker. We get to hear the voice of our king. We get to hear the voice of the lover of our souls. It is the Bible that is the voice of the living God, that is relevant and true for us today, 
as it is relevant and true for any, every generation that has gone before us, and as it will be relevant and true for every generation that goes after us. It doesn't ask, answer every question which we hope for it to answer, but it answers the important ones. It tells us what God thinks we need to know. Through it, we know who God is. We know who we, we are, and we know how we can live a life before him. And this is why, well, at Christchurch, we rarely do thematic talks just like this one. <laughs> this is why we rarely do this sort of stuff, and we prioritize going through a passage verse by verse. We work for it verse by verse because we want to hear what God has to say to us today. We want to hear God's answers to God's questions. We want to hear his wisdom, and we want to let that wisdom shape us, shape every part of us. The second reason why I think Jesus provides a better answer is with Jesus, truth is knowable. With the be true to yourself ideology, truth becomes relative. It becomes individualistic, and in the end it becomes unknowable. If we go with this be true to yourself ideology, then there is no certainty. Then you can have no confidence because it is all down to you. While alternative, Jesus is inviting us into the place of, of confidence. He's inviting us into a place of certainty because Jesus is inviting us into a relationship with the one who knows the truth. You see, you and I, well, we have to learn things. We have to learn how to count and we have to learn how to read. But God already knows everything. And even when we have learned things, well, we can get those wrong and then we can forget things. Yet God's comprehension has no limits and it has no boundaries and he forgets nothing. He understands the cosmos and he understands you and he understands me perfectly. But God isn't just simply the wisest being in the universe. As the creator of the universe, he is the source of truth itself. With Jesus, you and I don't have to guess at who we are or how we should live. With Jesus, we can know who we are and we can know how we should live. When I've had to ask myself just huge questions about who am I and do I want to follow God's way? Do I want to listen to God's identity and to listen to, 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 to his ethics? When I've had to ask those huge sort of questions of life, well, when we come to God, we don't have to guess. We don't have to stumble around trying to work it out, trying to judge it on feelings and thoughts which can, which can change. We can know with certainty and with confidence because we know Jesus, the source of truth itself. Thirdly, Jesus provides a better answer because Jesus knows that we're sinners. This be true to yourself ideology. It just doesn't get people. It assumes an original goodness that it evidently is not there. Jesus gets people. He knows we're sinners. And he knows that by nature we're deserving of wrath. He sees us for who we are and he delivers us from who we are. We read uh, in, in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, which is on page 1283 if you do want to follow it. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 1. As for you, 
You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God sees us for who we are, for who we truly are, and for the hell that we would create for ourselves and for those that we love. He doesn't ignore it, but he deals with it. He sees us in our nature as, as, as objects of wrath who, who exist in a pit of sin of our own making. And in love, he chooses to send his one and only son to die to save us so that whoever believes in him shall not die but have eternal life. He, that son, Jesus Christ, chooses to enter this pit of our own making and chooses to lift us up out of it by his, by his death on the cross and by his resurrection so that through that death and through that resurrection we may be forgiven. And these wounds which we have inflicted on ourselves and upon other people, there is a chance of healing and restoration and transformation and renewal. God sees us for who we truly are and he rescues us from who we truly are. So that now, I, I, have a, I don't have to be enslaved to this sinful nature. Now we have this choice. Now I can see that ugly side within me which roars its ugly head and wants to be selfish and wants to be angry and wants to be greedy. I can see that and know that Jesus has dealt with that. He's paid for that. And I can see that there is a Holy Spirit within me who is drawing me towards Jesus, who is transforming me to be not the man who I really am, but to be the man I can be in Christ, was created all this time to be in Christ. That is what Jesus has done for us because he sees us for who we truly are and he saves us from who we truly are. So, in conclusion, for our first myth, be true to yourself. We live in a society and a time that screams in our face, be true to yourself, be true to yourself, be true to yourself. If you feel it, do it. But the consequences of this belief, if followed to its natural conclusions, are extreme. If you want to ditch your husband and wife, ditch them. If you're tired of your kids, we'll see less of them. If you want to sleep around, we'll just sleep around. This ideology, it doesn't care who you hurt. And it doesn't care what you, how, how you hurt yourself. It just tells you to do it and forget about the consequences. 
this ideology, it gives us no resources to answer the big questions in life about who we are and why we're here and how we should live. And it has no answer for what is actually true. God is saying to us today that there is a better way. Jesus is the better way. Jesus is rich in resources and through his church and authoritatively through his scriptures, we are able to answer these huge questions of life, of who we are and how should we live. With Jesus, truth doesn't have to be guessed at. It is knowable. We don't have to stumble around in the dark. Jesus has turned the light on so that we can see the way ahead. With Jesus, we can be honest about the reality of what we see inside us, our sin and our brokenness, and know that he heals those wounds and he deals with it and he transforms us into better people, into the people we might actually want to be. So what does this mean for us today here in Sidcup? Well, maybe as we've been analysing this, this myth, be true to yourself, maybe you've been intrigued and you just want to think a bit more about it. Well, there's a wonderful little book by a friend of mine called Christy Mayer called More Truth. I'd encourage you to read that. Or maybe books aren't your thing. There's a fantastic podcast called um, Table Talk. It's the podcast makers. And the episode's called Be True to Yourself. Is it the key to happiness? With an interview with um, Glenn Harrison. Or I've actually written an article about this on a, on a website called Living Out. Called Be True to Yourself. Really? So I'd encourage you, if you're intrigued, dig deeper. Or maybe, as we've been talking, you've been asking yourself that, that big big question. And you've, you've, you've got big questions you want to ask about who you are, how we should live, or even small questions. And you're like, well, where do I go with these? Well, can I encourage you? Well, if you've got these questions, start asking these questions and use the resources which the Lord gives us. Use the Christians around us, which the Lord gives us. Start talking to Tom. Start talking to I. Start me. Start talking to home group leaders. Start pushing into the Lord with petition and with prayer and fasting and, and asking him for wisdom because he is rich in resources. Or maybe you've realised as we've been talking that actually you have been following some desires within you which the culture says, oh, be true to yourself, be true to yourself, but actually they don't feel like they're being true to who God has called us to be. Well, repent and believe the good news. And it is never too late. It is never too late to repent and to believe. I know I've covered loads of ground, so let's just have a moment of silence, and then I'm going to close in prayer. Dearest God, righteous judge, Give us those times when we are fake and when we let other people project their scripts into our lives. And forgive us those times when we listen only to our own feelings and thoughts and, and not to your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the truth that is Jesus and in Jesus. Thank you for the resources that are in Jesus and in his church. Thank you for the life that is in Jesus. Help us all today, Father God, 
to build our lives upon him and help us to help others do the same. We ask this in the name of Jesus, the word made flesh. Amen. Wonderful. We now come to our our closing hymn. Yet not I, but Christ in me.